Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this uh, Shabbat, for this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha and worship before you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken, your heart received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this pro- uh, purpose. Father, we thank you that your word is living and breathing and that we can trust that Messiah Yeshua, your word made flesh, now tabernacles within us and makes your word even more so alive in our hearts and our lives today. We ask you to continue to breathe your breath of life in that. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Ekev from uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 12 through 1125. Uh, we are kind of rapidly moving through Deuteronomy. If you pay attention to the Torah cycle as a whole, you will notice that uh, we get towards the end of uh, the Torah scroll and things start to really kind of speed up. Um, and so we are just around the corner from Simchat Torah rolling up on us again and getting to roll the Torah scroll all the way back to Bereshit, all the way back to the beginning and start the cycle all over again. And so as we've been talking for the last several weeks, uh, we are in Deuteronomy, which as I lovingly like to call it, uh, is the book that should have never been. This is the second generation of the nation of Israel standing at the shores of the Jordan River. They are standing at the very same place that their forefathers, the generation that pre seated them stood at and refused to take the blessings and promises of God refused to walk into the promised land and take it out of fear out of detriment out of uh, uh, doubt whatever it may be and here this second generation stands at the shores of Jordan and they are prepared and excited to go forth and to take what the Lord has in store for them and so this is Moses's final sermon the book of Deuteronomy is Moses's final sermon if you would as he reiterates and recounts to the second generation all of the things that the Lord has said and done for our people leading up to this very point in their history. So if you have your scriptures, go and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, <clears throat> beginning with verse 12. It says, Then it will happen as a result of your listening to these ordinances when you keep and do them, that Adonai your God will keep with you the covenant kindness that he swore to your fathers. Uh, I want to point out a couple of things real quick in the Hebrew where it says, uh, as a result of your listening to these ordinances, this is the word Shema, just like we get in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema, the prayer that we say, Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, Hear Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This word here is H-E-A-R, not H-E-R-E. And it is not just here as in you're listening to somebody, somebody babble in your face, but it's a, a act of listening with the intention of a response, a dedicated response, doing what has been said, what has been asked of you. And then he goes on to say, when you keep and do them, and the word here in terms of uh, the, the, the Hebrew for keep is the word shamar, which is a, uh, a word that means to guard or to protect. Uh, we call... Uh, uh, 
those that observe the, the Shabbat, those that observe Torah uh, within Orthodox Judaism, they're called Shomer Shabbos or Shomer Shabbat. They are the guardians of the Shabbat, the keepers of the Shabbat, the keepers of uh, Torah itself. And so this word Shemar means to guard, not just keep as in, you know, you've got your Bible in your hand, you hold it really tight, or you keep it dusty on your coffee table and never actually open it, uh, or on a bookshelf where you don't look at it, but instead that you, you guard it, you protect it with your very life, you act it out in a manner of which you are protecting, and, and this is something that I talk about a lot. Uh, I personally dumb down my ba base definition of sin. I dumb it down by saying it is anything that damages the image and likeness of God that we are created in. If the world sees us and they don't see the fullness of the image and likeness of God, then they are not seeing the work of Messiah in our lives. And so here when it says to guard and keep his word, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Yeshua is God himself robed in flesh. And so we are to not only guard the word as in keeping it and living by it, but we are to guard the very image and likeness of who the word is of which we're created in. And then he goes on to say, then Adonai your God will guard you, will keep you, as it's translated here. Again, the same word, shemar. He will guard you with the covenant, habrit, uh, it's, it's uh, habrit hachesed, uh, the covenant of loving kindness, uh, as the Hebrew says. So the, 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 a lot of people, and we talked about this last week, a lot of people look at the Bible as though there's the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, right? We said this last week, the God of the Old Testament, angry, vindictive, and, and judgmental. The God of the New Testament is loving and kind and peaceful and caring and yada, yada, yada. But the reality is, is the entirety of the Word of God is all about us walking in the loving kindness, the, the chesed, the loving kindness, the mercy of God. But if we don't do so, doesn't matter if you're talking about somebody who's a believer or not. If we're walking outside of the realities of the truth and the loving kindness of who God is and the character and nature of who he is, then we're going to experience the judgmental side. And it's not that God is suddenly going to cast judgment on us, but instead we have stepped out of his blessing. We have stepped out of that covenant of blessing that is there for us. And because we've stepped outside of his will, we are not able to see the reality of his loving kindness that is still upon us and upon our lives. And he goes on to say uh, that he swore this to your forefathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and your soil and so on and so forth. Adonai will remove all, verse 15, Adonai will remove all sickness from you and he will not inflict you on, uh, on you any of the terrible diseases of Egypt that you knew, but will inflict them on all who hate you. And so we see this idea that as the second generation prepares to go into the promised land, the Lord is saying everything that you saw experienced in Egypt by the Egyptians, the afflictions and, and the, the plagues that were placed upon Egypt, he says, I will keep them away from you, but instead put them upon your enemies that you're coming to dispossess and uh, provide the land for you. But the key here to all of this is this idea of listening, not just hearing somebody babble, but actually listening with an intent to respond and then guarding that reality, guarding that character, that nature, that image of who God is. Going to chapter 8, verse 1, it says, You are to take care to do the whole mitzvah that I am commanding you today. And it's interesting that he says the whole mitzvah, singular. The whole mitzvah, singular. Because the reality is, is all of the Torah, and as believers, we can look at the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and recognize that it is one mitzvah. 
We are to honor and obey his word as a whole. We don't pick and choose and cherry pick what we're going to live by. We honor his word as a whole. He says, you are to take care to do the whole mitzvah that I am commanding you today so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land Adonai swore to your fathers. You are to remember all the way that Adonai your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his mitzvot or not. He afflicted you and let you hunger. Then he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. And if you read the Gospels, Matthew uh, 3 and 4, Luke 3 and 4, Yeshua being tested uh, by the enemy after being immersed in the Jordan River by Yochanan Hamabil, by John the Immerser. Uh, this is one of the responses that he gives to the enemy. Right? He says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone. It's the response he gives the enemy. It's right out of this passage, right out of this parsha. We see this context, this, this continuation of the word of God throughout the, the reality of history. And so here he's telling Israel, if you just simply live by and care for this mitzvah that I am giving you today, if you live by the word of God, then everything will go well with you. Another way that we can interpret this is if you live within the will of God, all of God's blessings and promises will be upon you. But the moment we step outside of the will of God is the moment we have chosen to leave God's blessings and promises behind. Not that God has taken them away from us. I've talked about this uh, uh, before and from my own personal experience, tithing. As we said before, it's a biblical principle that is given. It is a precept that's given, us, given to us in the Word of God. It is a commandment in the Torah that we are to tithe. But the reality is, is if you tithe faithfully, you will see God's blessing. You'll see it pour out. You'll uh, see provision. You'll see things happen. But in those times of your life where you're not tithing faithfully, you still have a roof over your head generally. You still got food on the table. There's still power. There's still water. You still got means to get around to work. Things get really uncomfortable. And a lot of times because of the, the lack of comfort, we get focused on the things we don't see rather than on things that we do see. And so because we're not tithing, we've stepped in that area of our lives outside of the will of God. We've removed ourselves from the blessings and promises that go along with that being in the will of God in that area of our lives. But he's still blessing us and providing and caring for us because he says no matter what we do, he'll never leave or forsake us. But when we start tithing again, we step back in the will of God and we're living the way that he desires for us to live. We start to see these blessings and provisions happening. But what we realize is they never stopped. We just stepped outside of his will. So we removed ourselves from the perspective of God's hand on our life. He didn't suddenly forget about us. Just like when Israel chose not to go in the promised land, he didn't just wipe them out right then and there. He continued the generations of Israel from then on. Uh, and he continued to provide and to care for them. Notice that they refused to go in the promised land, yet he still provided man in the wilderness for 40 years. In spite of their refusal of his blessings and promises, in spite of the refusal to walk in his will, he still provided for them. And what was it that they did over and over and over and over again? In spite of his provision and blessing, they continued to grumble and complain. We never have enough to eat. We never have enough water. We stand here and live in tents and we wander around in the desert. Did you bring us out here to die where there are not enough graves in Egypt? Yada, 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 yada. When we step outside of his will, it's amazing how easy it is to forget about the reality of his hand that is, in fact, still on our lives. We go forward to Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning with verse 12. So now, O Israel, what does Adonai your God require of you but to 
fear Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the mitzvot of Adonai and his statutes that I am commanding you today for your own good. Behold, to Adonai our God belongs the heavens and the highest of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Only on your fathers did Adonai set his affliction to love them, uh, his affection, sorry. Wow, that's awkward. One day I'll learn to read. Only on your fathers did Adonai set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you from all the peoples, as is the case today. It's really interesting if we pay attention to context and we just go back about a chapter and a half and we read this text is building up to what we just read here in Deuteronomy 10. What we see is Moses is relaying to the nation of Israel, the second generation standing at the shores of the Jordan, what happened with the two tablets that were first given him carved by the hand of God when he was upon Mount Sinai and he comes down and he finds their forefathers in this huge hurrah of a party messing everything up with a golden calf that they're worshiping uh, and he runs down and he shatters the tablets because of their sin. And then he goes back up and he brings the tab fresh tablets back down and there's this idea of this renewal of the covenant. See, Israel had been brought out of the wilderness, or brought out of Egypt into the wilderness. Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai. Israel encountered the Shekhinah. As a matter of fact, last week, Moses tells Israel in last week's Parsha that they spoke with God face to face. They met with him. They heard his voice face to face. They had this divine encounter with the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God of which anyone else would have died from. And instantaneously, because Moses spent a few days too long on the mountain getting the word of the Lord that Israel was afraid to hear from his own voice any longer, and they told him to go get it and bring it to them. He was on the mountain a little too long, and they immediately turned their backs on God and stepped outside of his will and began to do the very thing that God told them not to do, which is to serve idols and worship a God made by their own hands. And so Moses comes down, he sees this going, and he shatters the tablets, and it's this image of not God breaking his covenant with man, but it's this image of man breaking our covenant with God. But you know what's beautiful is that we serve a God who is loving, who is merciful, who is gracious. And in spite of Israel's breaking their covenant, because they told Moses, you go get his word and bring it to us, and anything and everything he says we will do. So he goes up to get the word, and when he comes back down, he finds that they're doing everything opposite of what they've already been told by God himself. So what are they going to possibly be able to do with the word on stone? And so he goes back up, and God renews the covenant with them in spite of their sin, in spite of their mistakes, in spite of their turning their back on him. He renews his covenant with them again, and he comes back down. Moses does with the tablets, fresh tablets, ready for the nation of Israel. And then after he comes back, uh, he's telling them, recounting this narrative to them. Then he says, so after all of that, God has now forgiven you, restored you, and renewed his covenant with you. So what out of everything does God now expect of you? And he says his expectation is this, again from verse 12. So now, O Israel, what does Adonai your God require of you but to fear Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the mitzvot of Adonai, the commandment, commandments of Adonai and his statutes that I am commanding you today for your own good. And then skipping to verse 16, he says, ultimately the purpose of this is that the for us to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked anymore. 
See, there's this commandment in the Torah for physical circumcision, right? It goes all the way back to Abraham, this commandment for physical circumcision, which is an outward sign of what is a, ultimately an inward or a spiritual covenant. But God says that was really just an image. It was a foreshadowing of something that is a far greater reality, which is that of the circumcision of the foreskin on your heart, which is an inward sign of an inward covenant. And this was always his intention. As a matter of fact, we go to Jeremiah 31. And in Jeremiah 31, this is the very idea, the reality of what's being spoken of here in Jeremiah 31. He says, verse 30, Behold, days are coming is a declaration of Adonai when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is a declaration of Adonai, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Note who he says he's making the covenant with because most in the body of Messiah today will say that this is the church's covenant because God doesn't care about Israel anymore but that's not what he says here he says but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days it is a declaration of Adonai I will put my Torah within them yes I will write it on their heart I will be their God and they will be my people and then this is a prophetic reality still yet to come because we understand the reality of his word being written on our heart was a prophetic reality fulfilled in who Yeshua, our Messiah, is coming to reside within us, having offered his life for our sins. Verse 33 is speaking of still yet to come. He says, no longer will each teach their neighbor or each his brother, saying, no, Adonai, for they will all know me. But from the least to the, of them to the greatest, it is a declaration of Adonai, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He's speaking of the house of Israel. Ultimately, we know at Mount Sinai that this was a mixed multitude of Jew and non-Jew together that left Egypt that became the commonwealth of Israel, that became one people. We can see this with guys like Caleb. Remember Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that brought a, a good report back. Caleb, the Torah tells us, was a Kenizzite. His father was a Kenizzite. His father's father was a Kenizzite. And if we go back in history, we realize that the Kenizzites were the original, some of the original inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They were not descendants of Abraham. And yet this Kenizzite not only becomes a part of the nation of Israel, but becomes the head of the tribe of Judah and is ultimately in the lineage of Melech David, King David, King Solomon, and Yeshua himself. You want to talk about watching God's hand work because the reason God's sending Israel into the promised land wasn't because Israel was all great and wonderful. As a matter of fact, you read a couple of pages of the Torah, you pick any page of the Torah, and you'll see that we jack things up left and right. The reason he chose Israel was to dispossess the people in the, in the promised land, in the land of Canaan, who had so diabolically damaged the image and likeness of God in their lives that there was no return. But yet we see that even in this reality that there's likely no return, there's still a hope for return. Because we see that here's Caleb, this Kenizzite man, who is part of the people of the land of Canaan that had no hope of return that yet is restored and renewed. We see Ruth, who was a Moabite, who God said would never be a part of Israel, becomes a part of Israel and becomes in the lineage of Yeshua himself. We see over and over and over again this beauty of this image of return. Hosea 14.2, the whole purpose to Hosea is God's heart crying out to Israel, saying, return back to me. You've gone and prostituted yourself to the gods of the nations, these foreign gods that you know not of, but just come back to me. Return to me and I will restore you and I will renew you. 
Again, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. So now, O Israel, what does Adonai your God require of you but to fear your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the mitzvot of Adonai and his statutes I am commanding you for your own good. How many of us as believers today, and if your hand doesn't go up, uh, there's a dude in the back with a taser ready to take care of business because you are lying through your teeth. How many of you in this room today, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, have not once in the last week done anything to damage the image and, age, image and likeness of God in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and yet, in spite of it all, we are restored to the image and likeness of God because of the blood atonement of Messiah. And so we take part in this covenant, both Jew and non-Jew take part in this covenant restoration through the blood of Messiah that our fathers were promised over and over and over again. And so here we see that God says all that is now required of us, just as, remember context, Moses is now reminding them of the second tablets, the, the, the carving of the second set of tablets that was the foreshadowing of this renewal of covenant. It's this reminder that God has renewed his covenant with Israel in spite of Israel breaking their end of the covenant. He has now renewed it. And he says, after all of that, what does God expect of you? And these are his words. And so you and I today as believers in Messiah, you and non-Jew alike, one in Messiah, still mess things up. We still fall short of the glory of God. We still damage the image and likeness of God in our lives. We still sin on a daily basis. And yet God every day renews his mercy and his love and his grace. Every moment, some of us, maybe it's every like microsecond that he's renewing his grace and mercy upon us because we still got a lot to learn. But the reality is, is God is telling us, it doesn't matter how far you walk away from me. It doesn't matter how far out of my will you step. I am here waiting and I'm drawing you back in. You know, what's really interesting is when we step outside of the will of God, God doesn't walk away from us. And by that, I don't mean that he stands where we left him and waits for us to come back. What I mean by that is he's right there with us the whole time. And he's just waiting for us to turn around and see him. He says, what does God require of you but to fear Adonai, your God. We go to uh, Proverbs verse nine, chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of Adonai is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We go to Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This doesn't mean that we are to fear him as though we're going to quake in our, our, our boots. I think about every time I read this, the fear of God, I think about Natanel, uh, who one day is going to grow up and maybe hear this and feel like I just picked on him, but he'll get over it and get used to it. But um, I think about Natanel. You know, Natanel, ever since he was a little bitty, and he's still kind of a little dude, ever since he was a little bitty, the sheer magnitude of large sounds will scare the mess out of him. When it starts to thunder, you just watch his entire countenance change, right? It, it's not that, like, thunder is necessarily dangerous. It's not that the lightning that's, you know, 15, 20, 30 miles away is necessarily dangerous to him at that very moment, but the sheer magnitude of the sight and the sound in comparison to how small he is completely overtakes him. And I think about the reality that here the, the word that's used to fear him is this idea that we have reverence of the magnitude and the glory of who he is. We're not afraid of him as though he's going to squash us with his thumb. 
but we have a reverence of the sheer magnitude and glory of who he is. Israel stood at Mount Sinai and they witnessed his glory firsthand. You and I witness his glory firsthand through the outpouring of his Ruach HaKodesh. In Hebrews 12, verse 25, it says, See that to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused the one who was warning them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this phrase, yet once more, shows the removal of those things that are shaken, that has created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude through this we will we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to god with reverence and awe many translations there where it says awe the the greek word is actually very accurately translated as fear reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire we should recognize the beauty and the power of his sheer magnitude and glory and have reverence for who he is. We're not to be afraid and run from him, but instead have reverence for his glory run to him. Uh, he says uh, that God expects us to walk in all of his ways and to love him. Matthew 22, verse 37, Yeshua was asked what the most important commandment in all the Torah is, and he says you should love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then we look in, I get my iPad to work, Romans 8, 28. It says, now we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are to love him. And he says that he will take care to do good for those who love him. And what's really interesting is we can look at the world around us and see that even those who do not love him and do not necessarily deserve his good still receive his blessing and his goodness. Because God didn't create us to destroy us. He created us to receive his love and to love him. And I think God's desire in being faithful to us no matter what we do is for us to see his faithfulness and reciprocate it back to him. He goes on, and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Romans 7 verse 21 says, So I find the principle that uh, evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I delight in the Torah of God with respect to the inner man, but I see a different law in my body parts, battling against the law of my mind and bringing me into bondage under the law of sin, which is in my body parts, miserable man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God. It is through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So then... With my mind, I myself serve the Torah of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah. You should get it. This is contextually speaking. We see that he says, I recognize that on the inward, I want to serve the law of God, but on the outward, I am serving the law of sin and damnation. But he says, because of the death of Messiah Yeshua, his resurrection, and his pouring out his blood upon us, that we are now able to be rescued from this body of death 
And then he picks up in verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the Spirit of life and Messiah Yeshua sets you free from the law of sin and death. This isn't a juxtaposition of a New Testament law versus an Old Testament law. What he's saying is that the, the, the consequence of sin, which is breaking covenant with the Lord, stepping outside of his will, the consequence of sin is death. And he's saying not that God has redeemed us from ever having to worry about his word again, but instead he has redeemed us from the consequence of sin, which is death. And so now we can trust in everlasting life. And so even when we do sin as believers who can trust in everlasting life, we are able to walk in restoration and an even greater reality because we understand what is waiting for us. And where our salvation comes from. For the law of the spirit of life and Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible to the Torah, or for, uh, for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the, the flesh, God has done. He's not saying the Torah was necessarily flawed because it's the word of God. And God's word does not come back void. He says, we're flawed. And because we're flawed, we can't uphold the Torah perfectly. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering and condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Ruach, according to the Spirit. So he says to serve Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We are to give him everything that we have to honor and obey his will and his covenant. And when we recognize that we have stepped outside of his will and his covenant, we recognize that we have sinned against him, that we have damaged his image and likeness in our lives, it is our responsibility to return to him and recognize that that covenant is ever restored and ever renewed in the blood atonement of Messiah. And then verse 13, wrapping up, to keep the mitzvot of Adonai and his statutes that I am commanding today for your own good. Behold, to Adonai your God belong the heavens and the highest of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Only on your fathers did Adonai set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you from all the peoples, as is the case this day. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked anymore. For Adonai, your God, is God of God and God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He enacts justice for the orphan and widow and loves the outsider, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the outsider, for you were outsiders in the land of Egypt. And each of us, whether we come from a, uh, a Jewish family or a non-Jewish family, in one way or another, before we came to know Messiah Yeshua we found ourselves as outsiders as well and he is the God who takes care of the outsider and draws them in and reminds us of that here Adonai your God you will fear him will you serve to him will you cling and by his name will you swear he is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things that your eyes have seen your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons and now Adonai your God has made you like the stars of the heavens in numbers there is nothing that God did for the nation of Israel that he did on behalf of or because of the nation of Israel being perfect. Instead, everything he did was because of the covenant he made with Abraham, which was that through Abraham's seed, he would bring about the restoration of the entire world. This is why Isaiah says over and over again that Israel was called to be a light to the nations. It was our duty not only to be the people through whom the Messiah would come, but to be the people through whom the Messiah would be taken to the nations. 
And now it is, those of you who are not Jewish, it is your duty, knowing Messiah Yeshua, to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God so that he will understand the reality of the renewal of covenant that God wants to make in his life because of the blood atonement of Messiah. And it is a cyclical reality. As a Jewish believer, it is my responsibility to be a light to the nations. As a non-Jewish believer, it is your responsibility to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. We have to work together. It requires us together in order for all of humanity to see the restoration of covenant that God has longed for since before he ever spoke the first word of creation into existence. Because as we say all the time, there was no plan B. God knew long before Adam and Eve were ever breathed into existence that they were going to sin. And he created them anyways. So the only plan was always Messiah. The only plan was always to give his only begotten son that you and I could have everlasting life in spite of the disasters of a life that we've chosen to live before we found Messiah. In spite of the way that we are going to mar his image and likeness after finding Messiah. His desire is for us to be restored in covenant and in relationship with him, to walk in his will, to love him, to fear him in reverence and awe so that the world will see him in us and want what we have. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that your word is alive and is breathing. And that every time we roll through the Torah cycle that we see new life coming forth. Not that it's new words, not that there's something there that has never been seen before, but Lord, that you are revealing something new to us of your character and likeness that you desire for us to understand. Father, I thank you that no matter how we have chosen to live our lives, no matter where we find ourselves, that you're always there waiting. That you're always yearning for us to return to you. I thank you that even as believers when we sin, that you are standing there waiting for us to wholeheartedly and entirely return to you in reverence and awe, to love you with all that we have, and to honor your relationship with us and our relationship with you, to honor our covenant that we have entered with you. Father, I thank you for the blood atonement of Yeshua Mashiach. I thank you for the outpouring of your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, that you have given us the ability to not only read about our forefathers seeing and experiencing your Shekhinah, your divine glory on the mountain, but that you have given us a way to experience your Shekhinah, your divine glory in our own hearts and our own lives. Father, I pray that your glory will radiate off of us, off of each and every person hearing these words, just as it radiated off of Moses' face as he came down from the mountain and out of the tent of meetings, that the world around us will see your glory upon us, and they will desire to hear your words come forth from us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.